Janis Adams. Here's a clip from this week's show. How can I say this? I am absolutely devastated by the death of Harry Belafonte. Yes, he was 96 years old. Yes, he'd lived a long and extraordinarily productive life. Yes, he'd already given so very much. There could be nothing more that anyone should have asked of him. And that was just the problem. He'd done all of that. I've actually known of and then known Harry Belafonte all my life. A child of West Indian immigrant parents and grandparents. He not only was such a beacon to everybody, he simply made all the adults around me happy. And it was rare that you could see everybody so happy at the same time. So taken back home for those who were still longing for home. My grandmother indeed had gone 43 years without being able to return home. And Harry brought home to her and it made her extremely happy. But my favorite story of Harry actually comes when I was a young reporter just starting out at NPR. I was their first national arts correspondent and it was not only special to me, it was very special to them because they were getting to do something totally unique. And so they asked me if I could interview anybody I wanted to interview, who would it be? And I said, I would like to interview Paul Robeson. Paul Robeson, that giant of a man. Yes, he was tall, but he was a giant in many other ways. He had stood up to American oppression. He had built an extraordinary career in film and theater and music and human rights above all. And that was major at that time. And he paid the price dearly for it. This country tried to just extinguish him. He was, of course, brought up on charges for the McCarthy era. And anybody who wants to say, oh, he he went to the Soviet Union, this, that, and the other, sometimes it's important to learn to put those things in the perspective of the times and eyes other than those of America's elite white males. At the time that he, yes, went to explore whether or not things could be better as a black person for black people, this was the height of the lynching era. For black people, it was the McCarthy era long before it was the McCarthy era. It was the time of terror, psychological terror and torture, as well as physical. And outside of the United States, there was a glimmer of escape from that. When he was called up to the McCarthy era, said that 
he was not going to shrink and allow them to try to intimidate him because he was a citizen of the United States, born and raised, and no fascist-minded people would drive him from it. It's amazing how current the temper of the times that he lived through are beginning to seem once again now. And so I thought of all of that. I thought of my parents and grandparents' admiration for this hero of the era um, who had indeed paid the price for it because the United States seized his passport and refused him to work either at home or abroad. And that was the man that I wanted to interview if I could interview anybody. The week that I started at NPR, as fates would have it, was the week that Paul Robeson died. And instead of my first interview with Paul Robeson, my first assignment was to cover his funeral. And there at the funeral, I saw two very familiar faces heroes in their own right, Sidney Poitier, who we lost last year, and Harry Belafonte, who we just lost in these past few days. And what was so extraordinary to me about it is that those two men gave me my first interview as an NPR reporter. They didn't have to, but they did. And it made all the difference. They wanted to pay tribute to Paul Robeson in their own words, in their own time. And I wanted to do the same and also pay tribute to them. These were the two men, Harry Belafonte and Sidney Poitier, who used their privilege in having ascended the rungs of Hollywood and film and theater and become wealthy for it, they use that to essentially fund the civil rights movement. And we cannot ignore what they did for the civil rights movement. In fact, Harry opens his memoir with a scene of being called to immediately find $50,000. And $50,000 is no small amount now, and it was definitely no small amount then. And what it represented was bail to get out of jail the people who had put their lives on the line for justice, justice for us all. And that's who... Sidney Poitier and Harry Belafonte were. Harry survives Sidney. Right up until his last days, he continued in this ongoing human rights campaign that we should never have to keep ongoing. It should have been over with here at year 404 since 1619. And here we are being sucked back into the pathology all over again. Harry never wavered. And so that is really my favorite memory of him. But I will complete the circle in another way in that when I did read his 
memoir, he referred to his first appearance in New York and as a young singer in kind of the equivalent of an open mic. He got to walk up on stage and he had no backup. He just went to the mic when given the opportunity and he began to sing. And as he began to sing, the major musicians, well-known, whose gig it actually was, began to return to the stage and back him up. Amazingly, those men who backed him up included my husband, Max Roach. Harry did not know that when he agreed to do the interview. He essentially paid it forward in a way no one could ever expect. And so they say what goes around comes around. I'm not sure that I like that because it's often used in a very negative connotation of a kind of payback. But Harry paid it forward and what goes around becomes. I will just say it that way. What goes around becomes. And um, just as those men helped him become, he ended up paying it forward to help me become. And so I am forever grateful to that extraordinary man. We were not close friends, but we knew each other. We were acquaintances and we had reason to know each other. So it's all the more personal. And I thank him for all he did, not only for me, but for all of us. (music) 